Just how ugly are you? Buckle up. The James Webb Telescope pays off big time. And forest bathing. No, really. Forest bathing. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Hello, everybody. Oh, man, what day is it? I don't even know anymore. It's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, we are live on Facebook. And if you're watching us on twitch.tv or rumble.com or YouTube, uh, you're watching a video replay of our show. We've got some technical issues. We haven't been able to solve them yet. We're going to get them solved, and we'll be back live on all four platforms soon. That's all I can say is soon. But for the moment, we are live on Facebook, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, 10 p.m. Malaysian time. And uh, we're also, we put up the video on our other channels, so you can watch it there, because I know we've got a lot of subscribers on YouTube and uh, Rumble.com. And also, of course, to our podcast listeners, thank you guys so much. You're the best. Uh, we got hundreds of downloads, hundreds of subscriptions. Uh, if you want, in addition to watching our live stream or our video replay, you can also take us with you on your jog or you walk the dog, whatever. You can stick an earpiece in and listen to the show. It's the audio-only part of the show. We get hundreds of downloads every episode, which is fantastic, and we thank you so much. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, uh, Apple Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, Geo7 in India. We get a big audience there. Thank you, folks. And uh, just look for The Jay Sheldon Show. Uh, just put that in the search bar and then click follow or subscribe, whatever they call it on your podcast supplier. And that's it. That's all you got to do. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime, and uh, you'll get to hear the show. It'll notify you when you get uh, new episodes, which is three times a week. So, Thanks for all that. All right, uh, let's get right on to our very first update, and that is, of course, this little woman. Miko update. <laughs> Miko update. She's great. Fantastic. Miko, if you don't know, if you just discovered our show, is our uh, little Shiba Inu dog, and uh, she is uh, doing really, really well. Um, I took a picture of her. In fact, it's on my personal Facebook page. If you want to check it out, just search for j.sheldon, uh, you know, facebook.com slash j.sheldon. That's me. And uh, you can check it out. I think it's the last link I put in there uh, before we did the show tonight. So uh, check that out. It's uh, Miko. And uh, what we there's a, there's a tree here in Malaysia. I don't know what it is, but it has these bright, vibrant red flowers all over it, gr bright green leaves. It's a very tropical-looking tree. And uh, these bright red flowers, it blooms almost consistently. Talk much, Jay? It blooms almost consistently throughout the year. And uh, it, there, the petals fall. The ground was covered. And Miko, of course, is a nice red contrast dog. So there's a picture of her there. Check it out. Anyway, she's doing great. And the shedding has reduced a little bit. Knock on glass. So, yeah, my table here is glass. It's not wood. So we'll have to do the best we can. All right. Uh, we got all of that and more coming up tonight, including some shots. You've probably seen them by now. Who hasn't? From the James Webb Telescope. It's absolutely phenomenal. But um, our first story tonight 
seems like a simple little story. It's cute. But I actually think it speaks to a larger problem. And we're going to reflect on that a little bit uh, tonight. Um, Why did I freeze? I don't know. (laughs) I I froze for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, this is from uh, World of Buzz. We love World of Buzz. They do some cool stuff over there. Thank you. Link is in our show notes tonight. We were able to put those in on Facebook. I know they're all mashed together, so you might have, you know, you're smart enough. You can figure it out. You'll see all the links to the stories that we talk about. Uh, Malaysian tries to converse with women, but gets rejected. And he asks the public if he's that ugly. Now, (laughs) they blur his face out. So we can't be the judgmental people that we all love to be and tell you if he's ugly or not by our standards, because his face is blurred. Come on, world of buzz. Anyway, it says here, uh, honestly, I don't think it's because of his looks. I get super scared talking to strangers when I'm out. I even avoid making eye contact with everyone. Mm, Sometimes, and then it goes on in Bahasa. Not everyone is open for random conversations. Uh, For women, it's a scary thing. That can happen having random men approach you in public and try and have a conversation with you. Sadly, but we live in times where that can be a scary proposition. Uh, it is almost impossible to figure out who, what a man's true intentions might be when that happens. Well, recently a TikTok video, and you know my feelings about TikTok, but anyway, it was made by a guy who drew a lot of criticism after he recorded two women in public and complained about them not entertaining him when he wanted to make conversation. Yeah. The camera then switches to him. That's the women who were ignoring him. And the camera then switches to himself asking, am I that ugly? The caption in the video, the guy writes here, please let her see this on her For You page, FYP. What if he was handsome? Well, the video went viral on TikTok. It was shared on Twitter also, where netizens shared their rather hilarious thoughts. Uh, Some users said girls wouldn't have hesitated to entertain him if he was more attractive. Ouch. If you were handsome, you wouldn't need to wait to get spoken to by women. Women will talk to you first, said a user. Man, these people are cold. Another commented, sometimes it's sad how handsome people have a lot of privileges. Even if you're friendly, people wouldn't uh, say that you're flirty. Uh, But if you're not that attractive but friendly, people will say you're a pervert. How true and how sad. Uh, Yeah, if he's good looking, this would be a whole different story. Looks play a part, sorry to say, said another user. Uh... On the other hand, most, most female netizens said looks don't matter when it comes to strangers. Good on you. They said they they would feel uncomfortable regardless of how attractive the man approaching them was. Uh, She doesn't want to entertain you, and that's right. Don't put that expectation onto a stranger. Well, it's kind of true. Another commented, honestly, I don't think it's because of his looks. I get super scared talking to strangers when I'm out. I even avoid making eye contact with everyone. Not everyone is open 
for random conversations. Some users blasted him for recording the women without their consent, although their backs are to the camera, so who cares? And besides, they're in a public place from the looks of things, and the camera wasn't hidden, so as far as I know, the rules say you're open. Uh, Anyway, I don't see the issue because you're a stranger. Okay. Do you think he's out of order? No. Well, first of all, no. I don't think, if you look at this picture here, this is him. This looks like, yeah, see, there's an Escalera travelator behind him. This is some sort of public place, and he's not hiding the camera. And their backs are to the camera, so don't make some issue out of something that's not an issue. Shut up, sit down, go in the corner and sit down. Uh, But, you know, we live in a time where, first of all, you're that concerned with how good-looking you are. Don't be. Be you. Be who you are. Confidence goes a long way. Never, never mind what you look like. So if you're not the most gorgeous guy in the shed, the tool in the shed, as they say, who cares? You have other things. I don't know whether you're good looking or not by my standards because they blurred your picture out. So I have no idea and I'm not going to judge. But two things that I take away from this story. One is stop being so damned obsessed about how you look content of your character what's in your heart i know it's philosophical mumbo jumbo crap but it's not crap it's true it's what's in your heart not what's stuck on your face or your six-pack abs or lack thereof and secondly we live in a society it's true but it's such a shame to say that we live in a society where people are afraid to talk to each other People are afraid to start conversations. And, man, I I know it's true, but how sad is that? How sad is that that we live in that kind of a society today? If there were only a way to not live in that kind of... You know, maybe the thing to do is to start conversations with random strangers. You're going to get some people who will reject you. But if you just, you know genuinely sincere and genuinely, hey, how are you? Nice day today, huh? How's the weather? Whatever. Why not? Start random conversations. Give it a try. Oh, look, there's my live dashboard. You can see my <laughs> my telecast going out there. There you go. You see all my settings and everything. Actually, no, there's nothing you can't see on that page, so that's okay. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's get on to... Uh, the big news. Uh, actually, one more thing before we move on to that. The um, a Child Safety Seat Society of Malaysia uh, put a post up, and I just, it's a quick one. I put the link in our show notes, but wherever you may be in Malaysia or anywhere else on the planet listening in or watching the show, in the U.S., we rarely have this problem, but it happens that Idiot parents put their kids, don't put their kids in car seats or if they're old enough in seat belts. I cannot tell you, I've seen it happen. It isn't pretty. In Malaysia, I can tell you, it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. You cannot drive down five kilometers of any street, any highway, and not see some family, and in the back seat, there's the kid bopping up and down, jumping back and forth between the front seat and the back seat, hanging onto the two front seats from the back, looking up at mom and dad. 
You're trying to kill your family. That's basically what you're trying to do. And if you have a crash, you're going to. Check out the link in our show notes. It's to a uh, a post that uh, they put up there. It explains, again, if you think, by the way, that holding your child in your arms is safer than a car seat, you are deadly wrong. You are deadly wrong. An unrestrained baby in your car, moving at 50 miles uh, kilometers an hour, meets an accident. The child will wind up a projectile through the windshield, and the impact is similar to falling from a three-story building or getting hit by a three-and-a-half-ton elephant. Uh, if, if, if the child doesn't manage to fly out of your hands through the windshield, it will be crushed by you, by your body, and you cannot restrain, you cannot hold this back. The amount of force, it's physics, folks. It's science. When you hit an impact, that kid becomes a bullet. And there is no strong man or woman on earth who can hold it back. If you weigh 45 kilos, the force on your body projected onto your baby between the back of the front seat and you will be equal to 1,360 kilograms of weight. Pancake, folks. Don't do it. Get a proper car restraint. Get a proper proper car seat. Or if your child is old enough, put them in seat belts and make them wear it. And when they don't, you stop the car and you don't go anywhere. And the rule is, until you're in that car seat or in that seat belt, we don't go. We don't move. Find a place to safely pull off the road. That's the rule. You're not in your seatbelt or your car seat. We're not going anywhere. That's the rule. Enforce it. I, it's an epidemic here. It is unbelievable how many parents are trying to kill their family by not putting them in car seats or seatbelts. Don't do that. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a moron. It happens all the time I see it. We used to have a thing the state police in Connecticut would take around to the country fairs and things in the fall. It was called the Enforcer. And you would get strapped in in a seatbelt, and it's at a big, tall angle. And they'd pull it up, put a latch on, strap you in, and then pull the lever, and you would go down against the stop. And it was the equivalent of something simple like a a 20-mile, 25-mile-an-hour car crash impact. I think it was called the convincer, actually, because it would convince you of just how much power a slow 20, 25-mile-an-hour impact meant. I hope they're still using that thing because it was damn cool. And it was a convincer. It was amazing how many people, once they sat in that thing and felt what it was like to hit something going 20, 25 miles an hour, they were convinced that a seatbelt is a really good idea. All right. Now, as promised, on to some fun stuff. The James Webb Telescope. The pictures are out. Uh, is that Oswan? Oswan Shamsher. Hey, nice to see you. All right. Thanks, mate. Thanks for popping in. Thank you for liking the stream. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, be sure and give us a follow or a subscribe. Thank you. Um, 
we the James Webb telescope pictures came out yesterday and I've been beside myself. I've been staring at this these things for hours. It is amazing. If you have not seen it, check out the links in our show notes. Among the uh pictures, now there's the giant one. I'll show that to you in a second. But among the pictures is one that the uh, James Webb telescope took of the Stevens Quintet. And that is uh, an amazing star cluster, which, strangely enough, you you probably heard of it before and didn't know it. It was used in the uh, Jimmy Stewart film, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, it was. Take a look at this. You may remember this from the, uh, from the film. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, Liberty Films, 1947. Uh, there was a picture of the Stevens Quintet. And what they did in the film was uh, the, the angel Joseph was talking to the senior angel, and they used these galaxy pictures, which back in 1947 were not great, of course, but they used these galaxies to represent the angels. So as in the, in the film they were talking, but these galaxies were the Stevens Quintet, and there on the right-hand side of your screen, you will see the picture from the James Webb Telescope in a few days ago of the Stevens Quintet. Look at that. That is incredible. Uh, it, you know what? If you're not excited by this stuff, just put yourself in the box and bury yourself in the ground because it's <laughs> you can't get excited. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it is absolutely insane. Let, let me show you something. I'm going to get shoved out of the way here by my picture, but that's okay. There you go. You've probably seen this before. If, if you look really closely, in fact, I'll tell you what, let me do this live. I'm going to blow this up and completely cover my face. How's that? There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I can't move my mouse around here, but do you see? Let's see. Where am I? Uh, there. Okay, you see up above my finger, you are here, basically right at that little teeny, tiny, little teeny, tiny dot is the Earth. That is a picture of the Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy that we all live in. We're sitting in it right now, and you are right there, that little circle at that little pinpoint you think you're so important all right i did this on purpose because that's our milky way galaxy now take a look at this almost every one of these is another one of our galaxies like the milky way look at that that is the image everyone by now has likely seen from the James Webb Space Telescope. That's incredible. Man, every one of those bright spots, they're colored different colors due to the distance they are and how old they are. Every one of those is a galaxy. And you think you're special? <laughs> There's two ways of thinking of this. If we're the only ones, we are insanely special. The other thing, and the way I truly believe in my heart of hearts, is there is no way 
There is just simply no way that we're the only ones. You need the proof. There it is right in front of you. All the links to this and some links to stuff we haven't shared tonight on the James Webb Telescope is in our show notes, wherever that is here or down there or wherever. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll see it in our description. Uh, It's incredible. I've put links there to the main NASA site for the James Webb Telescope and also uh, some of the other uh, photographs. It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Great stuff. Wow. Uh, check it out. Check it out. All right. Uh, we're on to more stupid things now. (laughs) You know, friends, right? You're familiar with the show. Of course. Who doesn't know friends? If you don't know friends, look it up. It's phenomenally popular. It's gone off the air nowadays. It's in reruns all over the place. But this article appeared. It's from bustle.com. And again, remember I was complaining before about the stupid society we live in where we don't have enough conversations with strangers? Well, here's another example of exactly how stupid the society is that we live in. You know, this whole uh, pronouns, she, him, her, they, them, whatever bullcrap that's going on these days just to confuse things. (laughs) This is such a joke. Honest to God, it's such a joke. Here's the headline. Friends creator Martha Kaufman opened up about misgendering a guest character. And that's the picture. Sorry I blotted her out a little bit there, but I don't care because she's an idiot. Uh, Even though the sitcom ended nearly 20 years ago, wow, Friends remains a go-to comfort watch for a lot of viewers. Just look back at last year's cast reunion watched by 29% of streaming households in the U.S., according to Variety. Now, despite its prevailing popularity, though, fans have frequently called out problematic tropes. These are people basically who have nothing better to do than sit in their basement of mom's uh, mom's house eating Hot Pockets and playing video games. Uh, during the season's 10-season tenure, uh, they say from lack of diversity to the frequent jokes about Monica's weight. It's comedy, folks. Uh, Never mind. Uh, Now, Marta Kaufman, who co-created Friends with David Crane, is addressing one more regret from the sitcom. The treatment of one of Chandler Bing's parents, a transgender woman named Helena Handbasket. (laughs) Played by Kathleen Turner, by the way, brilliantly. Uh, Kaufman discussed the character in an interview with the BBC on just July 11th, just a few days ago. We kept referring to Helena as Chandler's father, even though Chandler's father was trans. Kaufman said of the show's original run, pronouns were not yet something that I understood, so we didn't refer to the character as she. That was a mistake. First of all, there's the character. First of all, If you weren't aware of this, you might want to sit down. It's fiction. It's make-believe. It's not real. Secondly, this is like a character who showed up occasionally on an episode or two. And there's this big hullabaloo over we didn't use the right pronouns when we wrote the script and created the character in the show. That's 
how far it's gone, folks. That's how far these idiots have taken it. Do we have to be worried about not referring to this person as she when the character was trans and the character was fiction and the character appeared in, you know, a very limited amount of episodes? But we're going to keep wasting our time on this bullcrap and you're going to keep buying it. All right, enough about that, because I'm going to say something I'll, I won't regret, but I'll wish I hadn't said it. You ready for some weird news from Thailand? No, not that. <laughs> I know we're talking about trans people. Oh, man, this is a snake. It really is. If you don't like snakes, look away if you're watching the video. But it doesn't look like a snake, trust me. Look at that. If you're watching, if you're listening to the podcast, check out the link in our show notes. A bizarre snake with green fur has been found in Thailand. I'm not kidding. There's a video. I'll show it to you coming up in a second. Look at that thing. That is the weirdest thing ever. This is actually a snake, not a piece of algae. It's, it, it looks like a Sesame Street character. Uh, a mis mysterious furry green snake was found floating in a swamp in Thailand. That's like a tongue twister. Two foot long, had a frilly body that looked like fur when it was found in Sakon Nakon province on February 26th. Uh, some locals said the furry reptile could be a puff-faced water snake that had moss growing on its body from waiting so long in the swamp to catch its prey. Uh, almost all snakes have scales, like reptiles, cold-blooded animals, regulate body temperature externally. These scales trap the moisture in and uh, reduce friction. Although there have been several snake species found that are mostly scaleless, the furry green snake could be one of them. Here is a video that's shared on YouTube. Let me just mute that out. There we go. And take a look. There you go. That's the thing. This is actually a snake. And whether that's a natural occurring fur or some kind of weird swamp algae, I've no idea. That was shared from, uh, from Thailand. That is the absolute strangest thing ever. The link is in our show notes. If you want to read the whole story, you can check that out and uh, find out more about it and watch the video and it's uh, it's full length. It's got some Buddhist chanting behind it. I'm not sure why, but uh, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Amanda Caldwell. Hi, I'd like to guess most people would uh, talk to you in the state I live in. I would hope so. I don't know what state you live in, Amanda, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, send them along to our live show, which is on Facebook at the moment, but normally it's on four channels. Uh, Facebook, Twitch.tv, YouTube, and Rumble.com. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show, or Jay Sheldon. You'll find it. And also, of course, our podcast, which is on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Radio Public, whatever. Anyway, so if they want to chat get in touch you can do that our email is also in our show notes the description down below or off to the side one place or the other uh show at jsheldon.com all right for some reason i've suddenly lagged in my headphones and that's really weird so we'll just deal with it <laughs> okay uh yeah 
One more thing. I think we have time. And then we're going to move on to our book, which is uh, Sherlock Holmes. We'll finish up this latest mystery from Sherlock and the gang. All right. This is a cool article. The link is in our show notes, and you must read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long. But it's not, it's not one of those too long didn't read things. This is worth your time. And it's written by a childhood friend of mine. Melanie McGinn. She's a registered nurse. She's the founder of Health Through Time Nurse Consulting and Coaching. And this is from MainStreetMag.com. And it, it's an article she wrote about forest bathing. I've heard of this before, but I really didn't know much about it. And uh, again, it's just words on a page. So let me pop over here. But uh, that's the article from Main Street Mag, And that is Melanie McGinn. I knew Melanie when she had a different surname because, uh, yeah, that was her maiden name. Anyway, uh, she says, had you asked me a month ago if I would ever write a blog post on forest bathing, that would have been a definitive no. I'm very open to Eastern, Western, and alternative modalities to ease stress, anxiety, and improve overall wellness. But forest bathing? Here in Connecticut, where I live, that's my home state. Uh, most of us are surrounded by forests. My initial thought is, uh, aren't we already bathing in the forest? A greater portion of the day? Uh, isn't forest bathing just being in nature, going for a hike or a walk in the woods? Uh, but what piqued my interest enough to research the topic was a short conversation overheard while browsing in a local gift shop. The discussion was about the influx of New Yorkers into Connecticut since the start of the pandemic, and that many of them had expressed interest in forest bathing. The forest bath is originally a Japanese practice of Shinrin, forest yoku bath, Shinrin yoku, forest bath, which was introduced in 1982 to improve health and wellness by reducing stress and anxiety and preventing burnout. Uh, in Japan, the practice encompasses various activities like walking, yoga, meditation, or even eating in the forest. Just basically being there, absorbing the energy. I, I know this sounds all new world, goofy stuff. I have done this as a teenager, not knowing what I was actually doing. Now it has a name. There was a place in the forest behind our house in West Cornwall, Connecticut, where there was a huge area, about three, four meters square, that was covered in this lush green moss, surrounded by trees. And there was no better feeling in the world. You know what? I've never told anybody about this. It's the first time I've ever spoken publicly about it. I would go... And I would just lay down on this moss bed and just be there. I know. But it was amazing. And that really is forest bathing. Soaking in those energies, absorbing the goodness. And there's more about that in this article by Melanie McGinn. Please check it out. It's in our show notes. And it is brilliant. Um... 
There's a picture, actually, of... Uh, actually, that looks a lot like some of the forest areas behind my house in West Cornwall. And I just wanted to give a tip of the hat here. Utilize all your senses. Sight, smell, taste, touch, and listen. Listen is important. Block everything else out. Open up your mind and just take it all in. I did that as a kid, and I'll tell you, the feeling is amazing. You get refreshed. You get renewed. It's, it's insane. And Melanie, there you are. There's Melanie McGinn, picture of the author of this article. Uh, and uh, she's a registered nurse, 20 years of experience providing education, guidance, and support to individuals and family, enabling them to improve the quality of their lives. Melanie recently received health coach certification from Dr. Sears Health and Wellness Institute. Congratulations, Melanie. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to know more, you can go to healththroughtime.com. The link to this article is in our show notes, and I encourage you to check it out because it's a very cool article. And uh, yeah, it talks all about all those uh, cool things about forest bathing and how you can take part. Check it out. All right, we, uh, we promised you a little bit of uh, Sherlock Holmes tonight. We've actually gone way over our normal time, but uh, that's okay. So I'm doing a little prep here, if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> uh, you got to hang with me for a moment here. I've got to figure this thing out. Here we go. Okay, well... When we last left Sherlock Holmes, by the way, just so you know, if you're new to the show, we read books on this show. They're in the public domain. They come from Gutenberg.org, which is the Gutenberg Project, and they're all public domain books. We've done tons of them. We've done, this is our, what, 238th episode? And every episode, almost from the very beginning, we have read books. We've done The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, uh, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, uh, Winnie the Pooh, and right now we've been doing Sherlock Holmes. Every chapter is a new adventure, and this headphones are driving me nuts, so I'm going to back them off a little bit. Here we go. Okay. Uh, every chapter is a new adventure, and we're right at the end of one now, where we're just about to find out what happened. I hope you've been following along. Um they went to find this prisoner and in their search for Neville St. Clair, Mr. Holmes, after spending a night thinking about it, took a sponge, wiped off this grimy prisoner's face and says, let me introduce you to Mr. Neville St. Clair of Lee in the county of Kent. Well, never in my life has I seen, have I seen such a sight. The man's face peeled off under the sponge like the bark from a tree. Gone was the coarse brown tint. Gone, too, was the horrid scar which had seemed it across, and the twisted lip which had given the repulsive sneer to the face. A twitch brought away the tangled red hair, and there, sitting up in his bed, was a pale, sad-faced, refined-looking man. Black-haired, smooth-skinned, rubbing his eyes and staring about him with sleepy bewilderment. Then, suddenly realizing the exposure, he broke into a scream and threw himself down with his face to the pillow. (laughs) 
good heavens, cried the inspector. It is indeed the missing man. I know him from the photograph. The prisoner turned with the reckless air of a man who abandons himself to his destiny. Be it so, said he, and pray, what am I charged with? With making away with Mr. Neville's... Oh, come on, you can't be charged with that unless they make a case of attempted suicide of it, said the inspector with a grin. Well, I've been 27 years in the forest, but this really takes the cake. If I am Mr. Neville St. Clair, then it's obvious that no crime has been committed, and that therefore I am illegally detained. No crime, but a very great error has been committed, said Holmes. You would have done better to have trusted your wife. It was not the wife. It was the children, groaned the prisoner. God help me. I would not have them ashamed of their father. My God, what an exposure. What can I do? Holmes sat down beside him on the couch, patted him kindly on the shoulder. If you leave it to a court of law to clear the matter up, said he, of course you can hardly avoid publicity. On the other hand, if you convince the police authorities that there is no possible case against you, I do not know that there is any reason the details should find their way into the papers. Inspector Broadsheet would, I am sure, make notes upon anything which you might tell us and submit it to the proper authorities. The case would then never go into court at all. God bless you, cried the prisoner passionately. I would have endured imprisonment, I execution, rather than have left my miserable secret as a family blot to my children. You are the first who have ever heard my story. My father was a schoolmaster in Chesterfield, where I received an excellent education. I traveled in my youth, took to the stage, and finally became a reporter on an evening paper in London. One day my editor wished to have a series of articles upon begging in the metropolis, and I volunteered to supply them. There was the point from which all my adventures started. It was only by trying begging as an amateur that I could get the facts upon which to base my articles. When an actor, I had, of course, learned all the secrets of makeup, had been famous in the green room for my skill, I took advantage now of my attainments. I painted my face to make myself look as pitiful as possible. I made a good scar and fixed one side of my lip in a twist by the aid of a small slip of flesh-colored plaster. Then, with a red head of hair and an appropriate dress, I took my station in the busiest part of the city, ostensibly as a match-seller, but really as a beggar. For seven hours I plied my trade, and when I returned home in the evening I found, to my surprise, that I'd received no less than twenty-four shillings. I wrote my articles and thought little more of the matter until some time later. I backed a bill for a friend and had a writ served upon me for twenty-five pounds. I was at my wit's end where to get the money, but suddenly an idea came to me. I begged a fortnight's grace from the creditor, asked for a holiday from my employers, and spent the time begging in the city under my disguise. 
In 10 days, I had the money and paid the debt. Well, you can imagine how hard it was to settle down to arduous work at two pound a week when I knew I could earn as much in a day by smearing my face with a little paint, laying my cap on the ground and sitting still. It was a long fight between my pride and the money. But the dollars won at last, and I threw up reporting and sat day after day at the corner which I had first chosen, inspiring pity by my ghastly face and filling my pockets with coppers. Only one man knew my secret. He was the keeper of a low den in which I used to lodge in Swandom Lane, where I could every morning emerge as a squalid beggar, and in the evenings transform myself into the well-dressed man about town. This fellow, a Lascar, was well paid by me for his rooms, so I knew my secret was safe in his possession. Well, very soon I found that I was saving considerable sums of money. I don't mean that any beggar in the streets of London could earn £700 a year, which is less than my average takings, but I had exceptional advantages in my power of makeup and also in facilitating my repartee, which improved my practice, made me quite a recognized character in the city. All day a stream of pennies, varied by silver, poured in upon me, and it was a very bad day in which I failed to take two pounds. As I grew richer, I grew more ambitious, took a house in the country, eventually marrying, without anyone having a suspicion as to my real occupation. My dear wife knew that I had business in the city. She little knew what. Well, last Monday... I'd finished for the day and was dressing in my room above the opium den, when I looked out of my window and saw, to my horror and astonishment, that my wife was standing in the street, with her eyes fixed full upon me. I gave a cry of surprise, threw up my arms to cover my face, and rushing to my confidant, the Lascar, entreated him to prevent anyone from coming up to me. I heard her voice downstairs, but... I knew she couldn't descend. Swiftly I threw off my clothes, pulled on those of a beggar, and put on my pigment and wig. Even a wife's eyes could not pierce so complete a disguise. But then it occurred to me that there might be a search in the room. The clothes might betray me. I threw open the window, reopening by my violence a small cut which I'd inflicted upon myself in the bedroom that morning. Then I seized my coat, which was weighted by the coppers I'd just transferred to it from the leather bag in which I carried my takings. I hurled it out the window, and it disappeared into the Thames. The other clothes would have followed, but at that moment there was a rush of constables up the stair. And a few minutes after I found, rather, I confessed, to my relief, that instead of being identified as Mr. Neville St. Clair, I was arrested as his murderer. I do not know that there's anything else for me to explain. I was determined to preserve my disguise as long as possible, and hence my preference for a dirty face. Knowing my wife would be terribly anxious, I slipped off my ring and confided it to Lascar at a moment when no constable was watching me, together with a hurried scrawl telling her that she had no cause to fear. That note only reached her yesterday, said Holmes. Good God! 
What a week she must have spent. The police have watched this Lascar, said Inspector Bradstreet, and I can quite understand that he might find it difficult to post a letter unobserved. Probably handed it to some sailor customer of his who forgot all about it for some days. That was it, said Holmes, nodding approvingly. I've no doubt of it. But have you never been prosecuted for begging? Many times. But what is a fine to me? It must stop here, however, said Bradstreet. If the police are to rush this, hush this thing up, there must be no more of Hugh Boone. I have sworn it by the most solemn oaths a man can take. And in that case, I think it is probable that no further steps will be taken. But if you're found again... Then all must come out. I'm sure, Mr. Holmes, there are very much indebted to you for having cleared this matter up. I wish I knew how you reached your results. I reached this one, said my friend, by sitting upon five pillows and consuming an ounce of shag. I think, Watson, that if we drive to Baker Street, we shall just be in time for breakfast. Wow. And there you go. That's how it all wrapped up. Coming up in our next stream on Saturday night, we'll begin a new adventure from The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. This one is called The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle. Cool. All right. We'll have that for you coming up Saturday night. Hey, thanks so much. We had lots of folks coming in and out of the stream tonight. We really appreciate it. Be sure you give us a like and a follow. Subscribe, whatever it is, uh, whether you're watching on Rumble.com, YouTube, our YouTube channel over there, and also Twitch.tv, and of course, Facebook, where we are live, and we'll be live again on uh, Saturday night. That's going to do it. I will see you again Saturday. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Have a good night, everybody. Snort. <laughs>